by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, along with us today is Vicar Albert Bader. We are privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we get together and we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. Today we'll be looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. We are uh, nearing... Uh, the two-thirds, were, two-thirds way, uh, two-thirds mark. Don't make me laugh, Pastor Moline. We are, uh, we are nearing the uh, two-thirds mark in our uh, Easter season of celebration, a week of weeks, our 50-day celebration. And we pray that God would uh, be a blessing to us as we look at his word and examine what he has in store for us this week in the divine service. Uh, are you over your uh, coughing and sneezing fit, Pastor? I am in good shape now. We're ready to go. Okay. Uh, this is uh, this is a bad time of the year for allergies and pollen and all kinds of stuff that's uh, floating around. And th- the best thing that I can do or suggest for you in the middle of this uh, spring season is to sing. To sing to the Lord, to sing to the Lord with all your might. That's the uh, major overarching theme of this fifth Sunday of Easter, cantata or cantate Sunday. Sing, sing to the Lord. What do we have to sing about? Well, we'll, uh, we'll see what God's word teaches us in that respect. The introit is a uh, selection of verses from Psalm 98. Vicar, take it away. Sing to the Lord a new song, Alleluia, for he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations, Alleluia. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Okay, sing to the Lord a new song. So uh, I imagine, Pastor, that means we should uh, ditch those uh, uh, Bach chorale things that you are so uh, uh, enamored with and even have a program on. We should uh, scrap the organ. We should scrap the uh, historic liturgy. And uh, we should uh, get out our uh, banjo and our... uh, a guitar and a drum set, and uh, we ought to uh, fully commit ourselves to contemporary new song worship. Is that what uh, God is teaching us here in Psalm 98? Uh, not even close. Uh, well, 
sadly, there have been uh, many people that have used verses like this in Scripture to justify jettisoning the uh, the liturgy, jettisoning uh, the uh, historic hymns of the church for a new fad or for something new. Um, if if that's not what God is teaching us here in Psalm ninety eight. What is God teaching us, and what is this new song if it's not uh, something new and catchy with a snappy beat that's easy to dance to? Well, and I think that's important to look at the rest of the intro because it tells us uh, we sing a new song because he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He worked out salvation for us. He remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, uh, the content of our song now is Jesus. And uh, we should talk about Jesus. And that's the same song that we've been singing in the church for uh, 2,000 years. But the thing that's new is the uh, salvation won and earned by his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Uh, and that's a new song compared to the old song, which was uh, Adam had Seth and lived 930 years and then he died. And Seth had Enosh and then he died. And uh, Enoch had Lamech and he died. And Lamech had Noah and then he died. Skipped a few generations there. But that's the old song. The new song is life, life in Christ and life to the full. So are we talking about a different perspective here? Uh, instead of the anticipation of a promise made, uh, we are now looking at the fulfillment of that promise in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Is that a is that a way to look at this new song language as well? That's exactly the way to look at it, and that's why you know you made the the joking comment about getting rid of Bach. That's exactly what Bach did. That's what uh, a lot of the uh, classical uh, Lutheran musicians did. Is that they pointed us very clearly at Jesus in beautiful ways, uh, and that's I would say not what contemporary Christian music music does. Lots of times it doesn't even mention the name of Christ or uh, focus our attention on the correct theology of Christ at all, but rather uh, it seeks to elicit an emotional response uh, so that we uh, feel happy to be at church, and that's not what uh, the content of our faith is. I'm reminded of the language from the prophet Jeremiah in uh, chapter 31, verses 31 and following, where he talks about a, uh, a new covenant and uh, he says, we're going to get rid of the old covenant. We're going to give you a new covenant. And then the words of the new covenant are exactly the same as the words of the old covenant with the addition of, and I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. And so this new song here that the psalmist is uh, teaching us about and singing for joy about is the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's why we have this uh, introit here during the season of Easter as well. And so in that respect, it matters not if the song is 2,000 years old or 500 years old or 20 minutes old. If it proclaims Jesus, if it extols the person and work of Jesus, if it... If in it, its truth and purity. In its truth and purity. If it proclaims the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins for you and for the life of the world then it fits into this category of new song. Age has nothing to do with it. It is all about content. And I think that you know us crotchety uh, lit liturgical worshipers, uh, we do that better than anyone because we do sing the song that's 2,000 years old, and we do sing the song that's three years old, so long as the content is correct. Amen. And this is the revelation that 
the psalmist, the Holy Spirit through the psalmist is talking about, for he has revealed his righteousness. God's righteousness has been revealed to us, uh, not in some abstract way, but very concretely in the work of Jesus Christ for the life of the world. Let's take a look at uh, some of the details here in uh, these selected verses from Psalm 98. His, God's, the Lord's, right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Vicar, um, what is this right hand and holy arm talking? I thought God was a spirit. What, uh, what's this all about? That's a metaphor about God's strength and power. Uh, Most people still today are right-handed. That's a dominant hand. And when God stretches out or reaches out his right hand, that means that he's doing something awesome and working normally salvation, but also in some cases uh, working uh, judgment as well. But here he's certainly working salvation because it says... His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. It's talking about how Jesus has saved us from our sins. So when we see that uh, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, can we uh, can we make a connection here to verses like this in the uh, Scriptures and especially in the Psalms, Pastor? I, I think yes. I think the right hand uh, of the Lord is always, not well, I'd say always, as far as I know, uh, talking about Christ and his work uh, and his life and death and resurrection. Uh, I especially like the place where we are uh, at the cemetery uh, and we say the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the right hand of the Lord exalts. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. How can you not see these words being about Jesus? Always. And uh, in, uh, in just a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, ascending in body, in body and soul all the way to the right hand of God the Father. He's not stuck there. This nope. is a position of power. And I don't think that uh, we can teach too much about this right hand of God. Um, outside of Jesus, this right hand of God is a frightful thing because it contains only wrath, punishment, and damnation. But the right hand of God has been poured out on Jesus. And so now this right hand of God imagery or metaphor teaches us God's grace and his love for us and for all who cling to Jesus in faith. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Uh, God remembers, uh, you wouldn't think that God would have to remember. You would just think he would know all things. Why, why is this remembering language so important for us, Pastor? Well, remembering doesn't only imply that it had been forgotten previously. It means that it's always brought to mind. Uh, just like uh, I always remember my wife's birthday uh, every day of the year, every moment of the, the year. I remember what day she was born. Of course, we celebrate it the one day a year, but the memory of it and the knowledge of it is always present, and therefore we always are remembering it. And what is it that he remembers here in that verse, Vicar? He has remembered his... Steadfast love is hesed and faithfulness to the house of Israel. So this is talking about uh, all of God's works of love and faithfulness coming together at once. So this is a promise made to Adam and Eve that a Savior would come through 
through them. The promise made to Noah that uh, he would live and his descendants would live after him and uh, man would come and be the Savior. The promise made to Abraham. All these promises now being remembered, being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pastor, uh, it says here that God remembers his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Well, that's good news for those people uh, in that nation of Israel that was established by the United Nations in 1948. What about me? Uh, what, what, how, how is that promise good news for me? Well, it, uh, the nation of Israel talked about in the Bible is not the uh, nation established by the United Nations. Uh, rather, uh, that is always uh, the the group of people who believe in God and his promises and trust in those promises. And uh, we have Jesus' own words that say he could raise up children of Israel from the stones. I think he technically says children of Abraham. Uh, but the, the meaning is the same there. It's those who have faith. Those who have faith are children of Israel. And so that includes the entire Christian church on earth, uh, those who are faithful. Um, and um, you and me are included in that as well. So we are the new Israel. And this is a great mission text because it says all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There is no one that is excluded from this steadfast love and faithfulness of God. We cling to it by grace through faith. And God's desire is that all would believe and come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when we know that our sins are forgiven and that Christ has done it all for us, there is only one response. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. His love, our response. Sometimes the Christian faith is summed up just that simply. We need to take a short break. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, KNNA 95.7 LP, Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. songs of celebration we sing. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, we're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. In these latter Sundays in our Easter season, we go back to the upper room discourse of Jesus. Uh, some people would call portions of this the high priestly prayer. It's, uh, it's always amazed me that from Palm Sunday until the uh, last Sunday in Easter, we, uh, we read about half of the Gospel of John in our divine services in church. And so here we have a, a big chunk from John chapter 16. Uh, Vicar, would you read, please, John 16, 5 to 15. Jesus said, Now am I going to him who sent me? And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, 
sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, we've got a lot of wonderful things here in this uh, section from John 16. It says right at the very beginning, Jesus uh, preparing the disciples' uh, uh, timeline here. This is Monday, Thursday night. Jesus is about to be arrested, betrayed, beaten crucified, put into a tomb, rise from the dead. He knows that his disciples will be sorrowful and full of sorrow, mourning, turmoil when Jesus is dead. And so he's preparing them and us all at the same time in this uh, upper room discourse. Now I am going to him who sent me. Pastor, can we connect Now I am going to him who sent me, John 16, verse 5, to this right hand and holy arm talk that we just talked about in uh, our introit from Psalm 98. I think that's exactly what it means. It means that Jesus is going to go ascend into heaven to be with his Father again. He's going to go that direction via the cross and the tomb. Uh, And so that's exactly what he's talking about. This is... um, These Sundays in the church here, the 5th, 6th, and 7th Sunday of Easter, uh, some people would look at them and categorize them as pre-Pentecost Sundays. And you can tell just from uh, hearing these words that Vicar read a moment ago, there's a lot of ascension talk here. There's a lot of comforter, Holy Spirit talk here. And so to see that pre-Pentecost nature of these uh, of these words is uh, very very clear and very very easy to do because i have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart why vicar are the disciples sorrowful that jesus tells them he's returning to the father well because he's no longer going to be with them And also, Jesus has warned them before this time about uh, his death and resurrection, what's going to happen to him. And they're not quite wrapping their minds around it, uh, but maybe they know something bad's going to happen to this guy. And uh, we're not quite sure what that's going to look like for us when it does. And just the thought of being separated from Jesus, they've been with him for three years, uh, brings sorrow into their heart. They certainly don't fully comprehend the person and work of Jesus as Savior of the world. And the farthest thing from their mind is understanding why Jesus would leave. We see this all the way up to the very words of the Ascension. 
when uh, the disciples say, oh, 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 are you at this time going to restore the nation to Israel? And uh, you, know, you can almost imagine Jesus looking at them and just shaking his head. Duh. What have I been teaching you for these last three years? But Jesus promises the helper. The helper. The helper will not come to you if I don't go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I go, I will send him, the helper, to you. What is all this going away advantage to you, sending the helper? What is this, uh, what is this about, Pastor? Well, the helper that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And uh, Christ descends into heaven, and he and the Father send the Holy Spirit uh, down to create and sustain faith, to build the church. And the Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to and working in God's Word. And so in the preaching of the Word, the Holy Spirit creates faith. In the singing of the Word through hymns, the Holy Spirit creates faith. In the following of a liturgy that matches God's Word, the Holy Spirit creates faith. Uh, Through the uh, water and Word combined, the Holy Spirit creates faith and baptism. Through bread and wine and the Word combined, the Holy Spirit forgives sins and creates faith. And that's to our advantage then that the Holy Spirit's going to be so busy when Christ ascends into heaven, that he's going to be creating faith, sustaining faith, keeping us in the faith, calling us to the faith, gathering us to the faith, sanctifying us um, throughout all of our lifetimes and throughout the lifetime of the entire church. Christ ascends to heaven so that he can fill all things. And as he fills all things, the spirit, the helper, the comforter testifies to the completed work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We know that he is talking that this helper is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, because Jesus says so in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, so we don't have to wonder. It is it is clearly uh, stated there. Now, there are three things that Jesus says, three specific things in this text from John 16, 5 to 15, that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the overarching thing that he's going to do. Convict the world. Convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. And then he elaborates on that as well. In verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Who's he talking about here, Pastor? Who is the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, convicting of sin? Well, um, generally speaking, he's convicting all of us of sin. Uh, And all sin, as we know from the small catechism, is a result of unfaith. Um, You know, the first commandment is within all ten commandments. And the first commandment says we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So if we fear, love, and trust in God's word, then we won't be stealing or murdering or committing adultery. The fact of the matter is we do those things because we are sinful people. And so in that way, uh, he's convicting all of us of the sin through the preaching of the law, uh, but then also has that specific idea of those who continually deny Christ and are not in the faith are especially doubly convicted, um, especially when they finally see Jesus face-to-face when he returns again. I think it's uh, important to note that 
this kind of talk is is all over in the Gospel of John. And when it's talking about convicting the world of sin because the world doesn't believe in me, I'm reminded to of uh, John chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 18. And Vicar just happens to have his Bible open to that page. Would you read those three verses, please? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God's Word does not teach a universal salvation for all. God's Word teaches a universal Savior, Jesus, who has bled and died and risen from the dead for all people. If you don't believe in him, you stand condemned already. And the work of the Holy Spirit referred to here is to convict people of their unbelief. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. We're condemned already. He sent Jesus into the world to save the world. The second thing with regard to the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. How is going to the Father and not seeing the physical presence of Jesus on earth, how is that connected to the righteousness that God brings for believers? Pastor? Well, um, Jesus ascending into heaven uh, is kind of, uh, he's the first fruits of all them that believe, and, and he's showing his righteousness then by being in the presence of God and opening the door for us to follow with him in faith as well through the work of the Holy Spirit, creating and sustaining faith in us. Uh, when we're baptized, we're clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of our sin, and therefore our righteousness is not our own, but rather it's his. It's the righteousness of the one who's up there with God right now, uh, uh, speaking it to God on our behalf. And so that's a good news. If Jesus can be in heaven and we're clothed in his righteousness, uh, that's good for us in the long run. And the only way that Jesus can ascend into heaven is with his Father's approval. And his Father has given his worldwide acknowledgement of his approval of what Jesus has done through his perfect life and his obedient death by physically raising him from the dead on that first Easter. That is what brings righteousness and salvation to all people. And so as Jesus ascends into heaven, that righteousness, it certainly wasn't for Jesus. Jesus is righteous in and of himself. But Jesus does all of this for all of us. And so the Holy Spirit, and we're just thinking here clearly in terms of law and gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and then convicts us that we cannot save ourselves and that our righteousness must come from outside of us. And that righteousness, that extra nos outside of us righteousness is and only is in Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, who has sent the Holy Spirit to teach us about Jesus. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. We're uh, certainly not going to be able to uh, conclude our look at the gospel reading, John 16, 
5 to 15 in this segment. We're going to have to uh, roll this over into the next one. The last part that Jesus says that he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And in verse 11, it says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world will be judged. Who is that ruler, and when will that judgment take place, or has it already taken place? We'll tackle that when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Please join us for worship. Every Sunday we gather at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. We also worship every Wednesday evening at 630. It's a different service from our Sunday morning services, so that affords us the opportunity to spend a few more minutes and looking at different aspects of the readings that we look at each week here on Proclaiming. Sometimes we use these Wednesdays for a minor festival as well, not so much during this season of Easter. And uh, we'd also invite you to check us out. You can listen live every one of our worship services if our uh, technology is working and if uh, we remember to push the right buttons is on 95.7 here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can check out the website, www.thecross957.org if you're outside of our listening area, or check out the archive sections for uh, this program, for um, At Home in Your Hymnal, Bringing Bach Back, all the other self-generated programs that we have here at Good Shepherd, and we'd love to have your feedback. In our previous section, we started our look at the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter, John 16, 5 to 15, and we are looking at Jesus predicting and promising that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth would come, and that when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He'll convict the world concerning sin because all who are outside of Jesus stand condemned already. He will convict the world concerning righteousness because our self-righteous acts and deeds will get us nowhere. Only in the righteousness that comes from Jesus, from outside of us, do we have hope, peace, forgiveness, salvation. And we left off with a little bit of a teaser on that third promise or prediction. Jesus says that the Spirit, the Helper, will convict the world concerning judgment. And in John 16, verse 11, he says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Pastor, who is this ruler of the world that Jesus is talking about? And 
Is that a present tense with regard to judge? Is that a past tense? Is that a future tense? Um, help us out uh, sorting out that particular verse. Well, the uh, ruler of the world uh, is a different way of talking about Satan, the one who led us into sin and where our world itself is sinful because of uh, the temptation of Adam and Eve and their falling into sin, uh, listening to his word instead of uh, the word of God. And so um, the ruler of this world stands judged already, um, and that's why Christ is going to, con- or the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning judgment. Now, you ask about the tenses, the uh, word there in uh, verse 11 uh the ruler of the world is judged. That is in the perfect passive uh, indicative te- uh, tense, which means it is a past action with present abiding results now. And it's passive as well, meaning uh, someone else did this to uh, the ruler of this world. Someone else is the one who judged him in the past with present abiding results uh, and convicted him, I guess you would say, is the way we would kind of talk about it now. This is talking to us about what has happened in the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's there that the judgment was poured out and that uh, Satan was cast down from heaven and that uh, uh, sin has been destroyed and the world's been set free from him. Uh, Though uh, still in our sin now, we wait for the fulfillment of that on the last day. And, you know, when most people hear that word judgment or thinking about judgment day, they're thinking about the end of the world. They're thinking about the last day. They're thinking about something in the future that is yet to come. So you're trying to tell me that what Jesus is talking about here with regard to convicting the ruler of this world because he stands judged already, you're telling me that this has already happened at Good Friday? It has already happened on Good Friday. Satan is already judged and found guilty. Uh, the hellfire's been turned on for him. And, and I guess the way to think about it maybe is is uh, these are his last days of freedom before uh, the, uh, the chain gets uh, locked onto his ankle and he gets thrown in forever, which is why he's so busy uh, seeking to destroy the church right now. This is so important for our hearers to grasp that Satan has already been judged. Satan has already been defeated. The Good Friday suffering, passion, and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his it is finished victory cry is for you. Vicar, how does that set us free to live our lives as Christians knowing that Satan has already been judged on the cross? Because we no longer have to worry about him and his assaults. Jesus has promise that he will be with us fighting off Satan all the days of our lives. We are free to be Christians and live in the faith and cling to our God who has already defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the devil in our stead. That's how we can live our lives in anticipation. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly because it's not a time for us to fear. Satan's already been judged and our salvation, our future is secure. And I know we're not talking about it here, but uh, that's really what the whole point of the book Revelation is about. I know lots of people read it and they get bogged down in the little details and they get a little terrified thinking about the pictures. But uh, the whole point of it is that we already have heaven. We're already pictured there in Revelation 7 in heaven. We have Revelation chapter 21 where we see heaven coming down as the bride of Christ. Uh, For us Christians in the faith, all the things talked about in that book are good news. And the same thing here, Satan being judged is good 
good news for us. And really, in uh, the Scripture's mind, there's no separation from the event of the cross and the event of the second coming. I know for us there's been at least 2,000 years between those two, but they all are really connected and pulled together uh, in the, the life of Christ. And that is uh, that is also spoken of and alluded to here. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, these future things, what will happen when we die, what will happen when Jesus comes again in power and might and glory. Not things for the Christian to be afraid of, but things to look forward to with anticipation and with joy. And I think the, it's important for us to know the things that you're talking about there does not mean the Holy Spirit is going to tell you some new revelation today. Uh, this is uh, Jesus talking to the disciples the night of his betrayal and arrest, and they're the ones who have recorded for us what the Holy Spirit has told them to say, and that's where we then um, get the source of uh, all of our knowledge about God is from the scriptures that have been recorded through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the place where he's testified to us. It's, uh, it's amazing how the more you read scripture, the more scripture unlocks scripture for you. Um, this is no more true any place in the scriptures than in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, in context, kind of unfolds before your very eyes. And so when Jesus is talking about the spirit of truth who will come, he will not speak on his own authority. We think back earlier in the Gospel of John when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is the truth. Now the Holy Spirit is going to testify concerning the truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is simply going to point people to the words and the work of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. It's all connected and connected beautifully as well. He's kind of like a road sign. He, you know, here's Jesus, look that way. Um, and, that, and that's the way he works. He never points to himself. And um, for for those for those that are old enough to remember the old Johnny Carson uh, television show, the late night TV show, Ed McMahon, kind of the foolish boob who sat on the side, his only job was to introduce people to Johnny Carson. And in some respects, the Holy Spirit is like the Ed McMahon of the Holy Trinity. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to point us and introduce us to J.C., Jesus Christ. We have some words here in verse 14. It says, He, meaning the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How is this glorification going to take place, and how is he going to take what belongs to Jesus and declare it to people? What uh, Unfold that for me, would you, Pastor? Well, it's all still a discussion about the Word. That's a big thing for John's Gospel as well, is that Jesus is the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And so the Holy Spirit will take the Word that belongs to Jesus and will declare it to us through the preaching of first the apostles, and then they'll record it for us in the Holy Scriptures. Now that Word is still declared to us with the Holy Spirit through the mouth of pastors and uh, even the heads of families teaching it to their uh, their families. 
that's the way the Holy Spirit always works. That's the way he has always worked. That's the way he will always work in the future. He will take the word of Christ and he will preach it uh, so that by hearing we may believe. Paul takes this idea and runs with it in Romans chapter 10. Vicar, help help connect the dots between what we talked about in our introit. Sing to the Lord a new song and this new song that is on the lips of the new Israel and the work of the Holy Spirit who will take what is Jesus and declare it to the world. How is that connected and how is that all one and the same thing? This new song, this singing about Jesus Christ, the crucified, and what he has done for us by earning for us life and salvation, is brought to us through the Holy Spirit. He is the one who first brings us into the faith. It's not a decision that we have made to follow God. It's God's will that we follow him, and he does that through people preaching in the Holy Spirit, working through that word to bring us into the faith. And having faith, the Holy Spirit then places those same words of Jesus Christ the crucified into our mouth so that we can proclaim it to other people. And we do that through preaching, through talking to our neighbors, through teaching our children, and through even singing hymns. Pastor, uh, in the time that we have left, connect the work of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and the work of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, as it is enfolded before us here in John sixteen five to 15. Well, um, the work of salvation is accomplished by Jesus on the cross where he purchases and wins us by his holy, precious blood, innocent suffering, and death. And then that accomplishment of forgiveness, life, and salvation is delivered to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, preaching and word, delivering it in sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, so that by the work of the Holy Spirit, the things earned by Christ uh, 2,000 years ago, 8,000 miles away from Lincoln, Nebraska, come to us even here and now in the divine service and in our lives in this world. And in that, we have no other response but to sing for joy. Our salvation is complete. Our salvation is sure. Our names are written in the book of life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to climb the ladder of works righteousness to salvation. It is a done deal. And this is why we come into God's house, to be bolstered and forgiven and strengthened with this word of the completed work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming the one. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading, continuing this theme of singing for joy, Isaiah 12, 1 to 6. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. We looked in our opening segment at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, Alleluia. That's where we get the name Cantata or Cantate Sunday for singing. Sing songs of jubilation, sing new songs to the Lord. In segments two and three, we looked at the gospel reading for Easter five, John 16, five to 15, pre-Pentecost, pre-ascension in nature, Jesus telling us that the helper, the spirit of truth is coming. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Salvation is complete in Jesus The Holy Spirit will not speak anything new to us, but will proclaim to us the completed work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And for that, we sing songs of praise and we sing eternal joy. Our Old Testament reading is perhaps one of the most joyful chapters in all of the Old Testament, certainly the most joyful chapter in the book of Isaiah, a song of praise right in the middle of uh, some difficult kind of uh, law preaching and teaching from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12 is only six verses long, and these verses are some of the most beautiful and wonderful and joyous verses in all of God's word. Vicar, please. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That's tough not to not to sing those words through. <laughs> yes, uh, and and in case you didn't uh, recognize that, when we sing the Old Testament canticle in the service of prayer and preaching, it is a uh, wonderful musical setting, very, very true to the Word of God. And uh, the kids love to sing it. We'll be singing it this year during Vacation Bible School. And uh, while, we're, while we're talking about this, what are the dates for Vacation Bible School this year? It's the first full week in June, is that correct? I think it is the 4th through the 7th. Or... Yeah, the 3rd through the 7th or third. the 4th through the yeah. 7th, that first full week. Call the church office or check out our website. We'd love to have your kids. We will follow the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain and now has been raised, Jesus Christ. And we will sing this song, um, the Old Testament canticle. The kids love it. The rafters shake. They sing it so loud. The uh, the words here, uh, we, it's, it's hard for us to do them justice in one segment on our Proclaiming the One. Um, Sometime down the line, we're going we're gonna to take an entire program and devote it to chapters like this one here in Isaiah 12. You will say in that day, I'm a big one, Pastor. Uh, I want to know what day are we talking about? Thursday. <laughs> no, I'm just... All uh, right. Thanks a lot. Um, the, the day that he's talking about... Everybody's a comedian. ...is the day of the Lord, and uh, that's the day. Uh, it, it's not just... 
uh, a specific date. It's the day that begins with uh, Christ's death and resurrection and goes all the way until that last day when he returns to bring this world to an end. Uh, And I think that this particular part of that is really focusing towards that end day, um, the day of the Lord when he comes back and brings the world to the end. And what's our response? We'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the nations, all of that. Okay. So in in one respect, you know, when we're talking about the day, we're talking about Good Friday and Easter. In one respect, we're talking about the day when God brings us to faith. Uh, we know this will all come to a culmination when Jesus returns again in power and might and glory. I think these kind of passages, uh, what helps me f- put all this together is that uh, verse in the book of Hebrews where the author of Hebrews says, Today is the day of your salvation. Today. Not tomorrow. Not yesterday. Today. And so today is what God is talking about here because we're going to celebrate all these things that God has done for us today. And in Christ, today is Good Friday, Easter, the last day, all of that brought together. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I have discovered over the uh, course of uh, over 30 years of uh, doing this pastor thing, and uh, including my lay minister days in that as well, but I've discovered that people do not like to talk about the anger of God. The anger of God is a topic that makes people squeamish. It uh, turns some people off. And I have been chewed out for many things at the church, especially with preaching and teaching. But I have never been chewed out like I have been chewed out after one sermon talking about the anger of God. We have right here in Isaiah 12, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, past tense, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Vicar, you were angry with me. Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. What's this all about? Well, he was angry with us because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sin much and we sin daily, even still today. We turn away from him and we strive after false gods and false idols that we love with all of our heart, soul, and mind instead of loving him who is our true God, our true Father. And yet, his anger has turned away from us because that anger has been fulfilled. It hasn't been cast down and poured upon us, but upon Jesus who suffered it terribly on the cross as he bled and died for us. And because Jesus has died... For our sin and risen again to pay for our sin and grant to us eternal life with him. Now, God might comfort me. He comforts us by proclaiming that our sins are forgiven. His son has completely and totally paid for them. And because our sins are forgiven, now we can cling to Christ in the forgiveness that he has, which will lead to eternal life with him in paradise. Very well said. Uh, During the Lenten and Holy Week time, we heard from Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on Him. him, the suffering servant, Jesus, the guilt 
and the iniquity of us all. That great exchange. God is righteously and justly angry because of our sin, and he pours out that anger not on you, not on me, but on his own dear son, Jesus. That is a mystery that we can never fully appreciate or comprehend. All we can do is give thanks for it and celebrate. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. My strength, my song, my salvation. Now, Pastor, you can talk about strength, song, salvation all you want. I want you to focus on the word my. My strength, my song, my salvation. Why is that word my so important? Well, all those things are the things he's doing for us, for me, and that's what makes it good news. Uh, It's not good if uh, God is the strength of my enemy. It's not good news if God is the um, salvation of my enemy. The fact that he does it for me shows that he loves me, shows compassion and care for me. It makes it something that... uh, is good news to my ears. Uh, I think this is the same thing with all the preaching of the gospel. We can't just preach about it. We can't just say, um, you know, Jesus saves. We have to say, Jesus saves you, the person hearing. Jesus saves me, uh, so that we understand that this is not a far away concept, but rather it's close. It belongs to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that you, you made an extremely important point there. Too often in the church, Christians treat the gospel as mere information. And all we have to do is know, acknowledge, understand this tidbit of information, and then we are saved. Uh, The gospel is not information. The gospel is the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus for poor, miserable sinners headed to hell. And when we are convicted of our sin and convicted that righteousness lies in Jesus and Jesus alone and that Satan has already been defeated, then we sing for joy because of this good news that is now my personal possession through the gift. You hear that word? Through the gift of faith. Uh, Pastor, I want to ask a a question about verse 3. Verse 3 doesn't seem to fit. Verse 3 seems out of place. Verse 3 seems disjointed. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What in the world does drawing water from the wells of salvation have to do with anything that we've talked about so far? Well, actually, it uh, is something that is in John's Gospel uh, brought very much to light. Jesus goes to a well, and there's a woman there who's an adulterer, uh, has been in adultery with uh, quite a few uh, men. I think the number is seven, is that right, or six? Well, that is, five? The, that is the number of completion, but yeah. uh, she hadn't reached seven. There yet. we go, five. And uh, uh, so she's had adultery with all these people, and Jesus says, um, I'll give you water, and if you drink from it, you'll never be thirsty again. And it's not that it's some magic water that you can get or some magical youth potion. Rather, it's faith that's delivered to us in the waters of baptism uh, that make us never thirst for anything else again because we have everything we need in Jesus, in his grace, in his mercy, and the forgiveness that he pours out upon us generously. These words are reflective of the baptismal renewal, the waters of 
life and regeneration that God gives us, this river of life that springs up within us, and God delivers the goods through means of water. This is a baptismal reference, how God delivers this salvation that he has accomplished to us, and we grasp it by faith. Again, from uh, Revelation, uh, the last chapter, we see heaven coming down, and from the temple, which is Christ, a river of water flows out. uh, And I think, again, that's the very same picture. And it flows out to the whole world. Notice again here the mission and worldwide scope of the gospel. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Too often in the church, we want to proclaim our deeds and our name. How do we have that backwards, Vicar, when we do that? Well, when we do things like that, we are making us into many gods. We are making ourselves into our own God instead of fear, loving, and trusting in the one true God. It's another form of adultery that we commit. And uh, all you have to do if you want a dose of that is turn on the favorite radio, internet, or television huckster slash preacher. And who are they proclaiming? Their ministry, their works, their person. Jesus, if he's mentioned at all, is a sidebar. And Lord, preserve us from that. In keeping with our tune for this uh, fifth Sunday of Easter, sing, sing for joy, Isaiah 12 ends with, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Israel, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel is in our midst, wherever his word is proclaimed in its truth and purity, and his sacraments are administered <coughs> Excuse me, according to his word of promise. Vicar, the collect for the day. Let us pray. O God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will. Grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, I am Pastor Poppy. Come Sunday morning, get out of bed, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>